Well, it's a real privilege to be able to share my testimony. Um, I don't know if I've really done this in the fullness of what I'm going to share this morning since I've been here at GBF, now Creekside. Um, I'm looking forward to it. The Lord has been such a blessing to me and my family. And uh, so I look forward to, to sharing it all. Um, I was very blessed to be brought up in a strong Christian home. Uh, my mom was a volunteer in the church office, church secretary for many, many years. My father was in church leadership. He was a deacon at the, for as long as I know, as long as I remember. Uh, he was even the president of the Southern Baptist Executive Committee uh, at the Southern Baptist Convention for a number of years. My mom and dad knew God, taught us the Bible, uh, involved us in service and leadership. They have a strong marriage to this very day. Um, we had a strong church family. We were raised in the church, and just almost like everyone wants to be. It was a, it was a, a beautiful picture. Um, I think I got a picture from First Baptist Church Cupertino. Is that it? Yep, that's it. I'm the young, good-looking one on the right. That's my brother, the mouth breather. A little slow-witted. He's actually academically smarter than me, but he doesn't have any common sense. My mom, my mom, that looks like she's like a real serious church lady in that picture. That's not my mom's personality, but... Uh, and I don't know what that mark is on my head. I don't know if it's a photo effect or if it's the mark of Cain or something. On the, I don't, I'm not sure. But that is us. 1966, roughly. I was about four years old uh, there at First Baptist Church Cupertino. Uh, I was saved at age seven, came to the Lord very early. My brother, I don't remember his age exactly, but it was same, same about the same time. Um, and as I said, we were taught the Word of God, and God was a center point of our family and uh, being raised. Uh, I cannot think of a better home to have grown up in. I can't think of better parents to have had. Uh, I was truly blessed as a child. As I moved into my teen years, uh, I started struggling with sin nature, thought life, selfishness, self-centeredness. I loved money. Uh, when I started you know, working for the first time, all my friends were working in fast food, I think. And I had absolutely no desire to work in fast food. I started doing yard work, and I made a boatload of money uh, for a kid that age. <clears throat> we lived up in the foothills in Cupertino, and all those houses had to have fire breaks around them. And so I had a specially adapted uh, weed eater and I'd cut fire breaks. I made good money doing that and I love spinning it. Um, but I started having a struggle with, with sin nature and how to think about it um, and how to cope with it. I knew my thought life and my selfishness. I knew that was all wrong, but I so strongly desired it. Um, and so in my heart, I knew I was a Christian. But I didn't know quite how to cope with it. Uh, but the bigger problem was actually this group of friends. It's not all of them, but a large group of the friends that I was hanging with, they weren't struggling with sin. They were running to sin. Uh, they had grown up in the same atmosphere as I had. They had grown up in good families. I knew their families. They'd grown up in church. They professed Christ. But they were run into sin, alcohol, drugs, sex, all of it. And I was being tempted and I was being pulled. I knew better. Um, but these people, I mean, there, a couple of them specifically were, I mean, they were vicious. They were vicious against the church. They were vicious against the Bible. They were vicious against their parents, the things they would say, things they would do. Um, and I... I was no flower. I mean, I had 
I would get angry with my parents and I would get in fights with them and, and, uh, and all that. Like maybe you'd say a typical teenager. But the measure of what these guys were doing was, was very, very different. And uh, I do have to say, I had a good, healthy fear of my father. My father, ex-military, Kentucky farm boy, he had a standard by which things were done. And I could never imagine coming home at an inappropriate time or coming home in an inappropriate way. Uh, I knew the righteous indignation and the discipline that would ensue was going to be mountainous. I, I, that, <laughs> I have to say, many times that's what kept me from engaging. I was deathly a fear of Mel Douglas. Now, some of you have met my father, and I'm hoping that uh, when we get back to the Creekside campus, they've promised to come down and and uh, and be there for one of our Sundays. If you meet him, or if you've already met him, he is the sweetest guy. He is soft-spoken. He's nice. That's not the man I grew up with. <laughs> Where's Mike? Mike, you got to edit that part out too, okay? <laughs> um, and I'm I'm way off track. But my my point was is that. There was, I had respect for my parents and a respect for my father, even though I, you know, I was a teenager and I had battle with them. And there was just this real struggle that I was having at these early, mid-teenage years. Um, and uh, uh, I, I, I was struggling with running to sin. And I was really, really struggling with why my friends were so, I mean, they were giving up the faith. Genesis 4, verses 3 through 7, says, In the course of time, Cain brought to, uh, to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of the fatted portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. You must rule over it. This is, of course, after the curse, and I, I believe Adam and Eve repented of their sin. I think that's seen in the fact that God uh, sacrificed an animal to clothe them. He blessed them with children. Uh, Eve is called the mother of all living things. And Adam and Eve raised their children to know God. Uh, that's seen by the fact that Abel followed God and followed the instructions. We don't know what the, the offering system was then. It wasn't the sacrifice system we have later in the Old Testament. Uh, that wasn't installed. But there was some method by which they were supposed to do an offering to the Lord. They knew what it was. And Cain's was not hitting the mark. Now, that really is just a symptom of the problem. The, the problem wasn't Cain's offering. The problem was Cain's heart. It was just reflected in his, his offering preparation. Um, Cain was angry. Cain got angry when God called his offering into, into suspect. Now, if Cain's heart was right... And he just didn't prepare the offering well. When God would say that, he would be humiliated and he would cry out and he would ask for repentance. That's what you would do if your heart was right. And you get confronted with some kind of wrongdoing. But his heart wasn't right. And he was angry. God told him, God graciously warned him, Cain, if you just do the right thing, you'll be accepted. That was kind of, hey, get your stinking attitude right and do the right thing. That's kind of Bob Douglas living version um, coming from channeling Mel Douglas. Um, 
right? Get your, get your thinking right and go do the right thing and everything will be fine. But no, Cain's pride, his anger, he lashed out. He can't lash out against God. So what does he do? He lashes out and kills his brother. God had grace. He told him, disaster's right at the door. Sin is crouching. Be careful. These are gracious warnings from God, trying to give Cain a chance to go do the right thing. Well, these were my friends. It took me a long time to really grasp that. It wasn't until late high school, early college, that I could understand that someone could be raised up in the church, know these biblical things, have a good foundation of the Bible, and still turn and walk away from God. It was a struggling point for me. Um, it was tough. Um, but that's exactly what was happening with these teenage friends of mine. Not everyone raised in the church, not everyone raised with good influence, biblical morality, biblical worldview, will hold to it. And that's a sad thing. But that's what I was struggling with. Pastor Mike Stokey was my pastor in my late youth, early college years, and Mike helped me navigate those waters. He helped me kind of get through that time and understand there's a big difference from just knowing Scripture, knowing the Bible, and walking a life of faith. And really implementing and really doing, really living what we know to be true. I appreciate Mike. Um, I adapted a life verse at that time, Colossians 3.17. It says, whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of Christ Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. Walk your life. Whatever you do, whatever you say, walk the life of Christ. For my children, there's a picture of them, I think. You got my kids up there? Next one. There we go. There's my children. You love, I love those children, right? I had the early, is that, I'm out of, I'm out of, I'm out of sync. I, no, I'll go back to the children. Yeah. You love those children. You do everything you can to raise them in the church, to tell them, to instruct them. You can't imagine one of them walking away. Um, but we do the best we can. We hold on to them as close as we can. For, for me, Mike Stokey was an echoing of the things my parents had taught me. Mike, you know, I, I wasn't going to my parents with this struggle. Probably a typical teenager. I probably should have, but I didn't. Mike could see it. Mike knew me. He vetted it out of me. And I thank God for men like J.R. and Austin. J.R. and Austin had been those men for my youngest son, Mitch, and actually for, Austin, uh, for Grant as well, my oldest one. Other men in their lives echoing the things that they hear formally in church and they hear from their parents, but they talk to them and vet things out. I would encourage you young parents, seek out other Christian young men and women to speak into your children's lives. Well, that was kind of me going up through high school and early college. I graduated Baylor University. I had a bachelor's of business administration um, in management and computer information systems. Uh, I went on and got my MBA with a concentration in entrepreneurship. And uh, those were kind of my early years, coming to faith, struggling with uh, my sin nature, how to think about it, getting pulled in temptation by others that they never, they, they walked away from the Lord um, and struggling with that. And Mike helped me out. Uh, but that was my early years. Um, after college, um, the Lord blessed me tremendously. Uh, I had a, an abundance of success in business. Um, I'm not saying I didn't have trials during those times. Of course, you have trials. But overall, God uh, blessed me tremendously. 
Uh, I got started in the business world. When I first got started in the business world, I was in the area of investments and uh, estate planning. After a few years in that area, I really kind of found my feet in marketing services. Went to work for a marketing services firm. Got married to the love of my life. Where's that picture? There's that engagement picture. You're the hottest thing walking, isn't she? Um, so that was our engagement photo. We got married in August of 1990. 29 years married now. Um, men always marry up for you single guys that are out there. Always marry up. If you don't know what I mean by that, come see me afterwards. I'll explain it more. Um, I did. It's been a tremendous blessing for me. That's all I'll say about it for now. Um, And then my kids. God bless us with three beautiful children. But as beautiful as they are, that's Robin after three kids. She's just gorgeous. Um, uh, But he blessed us with that. Um, We were able to buy a home. Uh, He blessed me in our business. Uh, I started, my, after four years working for that marketing services firm, I went out and started my own. Um, we were the top five fastest growing businesses, privately held businesses in Silicon Valley for two or three years. I did business with people like Apple, HP, Chevron, Robert Mondavi, um, Robert, uh, I mean, uh, Thomas Kincaid, a ton of startups, several of the things, places that you guys work for now. I built exhibits and did showrooms for um, when they were young and getting started. My father and I purchased a commercial building uh, on the corner of 101 in Fair Oaks or Matilda. Uh, Like I said, tremendous financial blessings. I sold that marketing company in 2006 and did another startup. Three other Christian men and me put together a digital sign and kiosk company. It was an up-and-coming industry. We were doing a lot of it in the built-ins of the exhibit stuff that we were doing. And uh, we saw an opportunity and we took it. Uh, we got funded uh, from a group out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, and we were off and running. We developed and sold solutions to Blockbuster. They're no longer around. But at the time, we had solutions for Blockbuster. We were going into 800 La Quinta inns and suites, and we had contract to go into all 4,000 Best Western hotels. Uh, we were set to have two of the largest um, enterprise-level distributed inter- internet kiosk company in the United States. We had an advertising platform that was incredible. Um, and then God slammed the door shut. It was as fast as it all came together and was growing, it ended even faster. That great theologian, Mike Tyson, he says, uh, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the mouth. (laughs) I think that's very true. Uh, As I said, we had... uh, We had some great customers. We had a whole list of advertisers. We deployed all the beta sites. They were working as they were engineered to, even though a number of people said we couldn't do the things that we said that we could do. Um, It was time for our investors to uh, get our manufacturing, fund all of our manufacturing. And they were excited to, they were ready to. But it was October, 2008. And for those of you that were adults and homeowners at that time, this was in the middle of a housing crisis in the United States that led to a huge recession uh, for a couple of years. In October of 2008, that was the largest free fall of home prices across the nation that had in history. The... uh, the foundation of our uh, economy is the home. The banking world depends on private home ownership. And it was in a free fall. This was panicking everybody, 
the investment world came to a screeching halt. The elections were a month away. Uh, It was a time where everything was different than it had ever been before. See, I had contingency plans. If the company didn't work, I still had good equity in my home and in my commercial building. I had contingencies that if my investors pulled out, I actually had competitors and other investors that were going to come behind. But I didn't have a contingency for an economy collapsing and it being based in real estate collapse. That, that was a hit in the mouth. For the next three months, October through December, I did everything I could. Everything that I could imagine, everything I could think of to keep our company floating. We had contracts. I mean, you have a contract. When you have a contract, that's a sellable asset. I mean, people will line up to come in and fulfill those contracts. We had the engineering done. We had everything. We couldn't get anything. Competitors would tell me, I can't service that. And I'm struggling to stay alive myself. Invest, the investment world just dried up. They could call me in six months. I said, man, this thing's over in 30 days. There's no six months. No one was doing anything. As I said, God, God slammed the door shut. So for the next three months, I said, like I said, I was, I was trying, but nothing happened. In January 2009, had to close the doors of the business. Uh, that was devastating to Robin and I financially. The uh, real estate in the, across the nation was still dropping. I had to give the commercial building back to the bank. Six months later, we finally sold our house. Didn't get a bid on it. We were in this beautiful little neighborhood that in the 10 years we lived there, when a house went on the market, it would never be on the market more than a couple weeks. The house was on the market for six months. It didn't even get an offer. We finally got an offer. We sold. Loss after loss after loss. And I didn't have a job. I'd been actually looking for a job since January when we closed. Couldn't find a job. I mean, I knew people everywhere. I was reaching out, contacting, zero hires, zero headcount. Bob, call me in three months, call me in six months. Can't do anything right now. Which, kind of privately, just between us, (laughs) I always thought if a guy couldn't get a job in three or four months, he's really just not trying that hard. Or he's got, you know, too high of an expectation. That obviously changed my opinion. Um, so we sold it all. We put everything into pods. You know, the company took everything. Didn't, I didn't know where we were going to go. I had nowhere to go. So we put everything into pods, put it into storage. My parents, they lived up in kind of East Sacramento. They have this house that's much bigger than they need. They said, come on, come on and move in with us. So, kind of like Jed Clampett, I loaded up the truck (laughs) and moved to Sacramento, moved in with my parents. Before it was all over, we had a car stolen right out of my driveway. (laughs) The cat got killed, got run over. The dog even ran away. Um, that all happened in in 09 another thing that happened in 09 not related but yet another difficult loss was Robin's father passed away he passed away on Christmas day we were uh, we had spent Christmas Eve with my parents and it was Christmas morning and we were loading up and literally going to drive down here to the Bay Area to spend Christmas day with her family her father had been ailing. She actually talked to him the night before on Christmas Eve. And we are in the driveway, leaving my parents' house, when she gets a call from her sister saying that dad had just passed away. 
And just a series of losses that were devastating to us. We're asking the question, why? We're seeking God in every, in every possible way. Um, trying to decide, have, is, there, is, there un, is there sin that we have committed that, that we need to repent of? We're looking under everything, praying to God, pouring out our hearts. It was the biggest trial of my life. And one of the most difficult things was handling it right, scripturally, handling it biblically, and doing it in front of my children. My oldest ones were in high school. Mitch was in junior high. And uh, living it out in front of them, because they could see everything. They saw everything. How do you explain that to your younger children? It was difficult. It was very difficult. In my job here, I now work and counsel with people. And um, I see when people come across trials, there's, this is Bob Douglas, four basic ways that people handle it. The first is they get angry. They get angry with God. Um, and that gets manifested in so many different ways. They, sometimes they have trouble with work. They have trouble with relationships. They have trouble with their marriage. Um, but they're ignoring the call and the proper spiritual response. Another way is passivity. I think passivity is shown in two different ways. One of them is spiritual weakness or ignorance. Um, people just don't understand that this life is supposed to be filled with trials, as Christ told us in John 16. That this life is going to be filled with tribulation. They don't get it. They think it's after I'm saved, I'm, life is supposed to be easy. So they're spiritually ignorant, they don't know, and they get focused on the trial, they get consumed by the trial, they see themselves as a victim. That's, that's common. And of course they miss God and all of that. Another passive way is lack of spiritual discipline. They actually know scripturally what to do. But they don't have the fortitude to do it. They won't walk it. They know it, but they won't walk it. Another one is those that are self-deceived. Similar to the lack of discipline, they, they pray, they bring it to God, but they have a solution that they want God to do. And they're really kind of ignoring any other possibilities. Um, they won't allow the sovereignty of God into that solution. It has to be done a certain way. They, they cloak that a lot of times. But they want to see that their trial is fixed the way they want it to be fixed. Then the fourth one is what I would call the proper response. Uh, the bringing, of course, bringing the issue to God, listening to God, following God, holding on to God. That doesn't mean it's going to be easy, of course. We know that. But... It's holding to Scripture, holding to His promises, and walking the faith we claim to have. In my life, I've done all four of those. I've, done th I've been angry at God. I've, I've lacked discipline. I've lacked the fortitude to implement stuff. I've been focused on, I think it should be fixed this way. And there's times I've been... I've handled it in a proper scriptural way. The Apostle Paul talks about how to handle this in a proper scriptural way. It's in uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read it. It says, A thorn in the flesh was given, excuse me, a thorn was given me in, in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. Paul was saying, take care, I want, it, I want it, this is how it should be fixed, God. Please, leave. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. The right bandage for any trial is God's grace. God's grace brings peace, it brings calm, brings clarity, 
that peace that passes all understanding. You're in the midst of a fiery trial, but you can have peace. That's because you've given it to the Lord. My grace is sufficient. Now, it's not to say you're not going to have hard times. It's not to say you're not going to have low days. Of course, there's the emotional side of that, but there's a peace that comes. For me, this was a three-year trial for, for me and my family. There were some very long days sometimes. There were some very long weeks. Some very low emotions. Whenever I was really low, just by God's grace, Robin wasn't. She would help pull me up. The same thing. When Robin was low, I could pull her up. That was a grace of God in that time. Um, one thing, though, we never felt alone. Even in the low days, we didn't feel alone. We did know that God was there. Now, the devastation, financial devastation, happened quickly. Um, like I said, by June 2009, those six months, it, was all, it all disappeared pretty quick. And we, we had nothing. I mean, when it was all over, the financial, the equity in my home, and it was all gone. When it was done, it was done, and I literally didn't have anything. And I was looking for a job, and I couldn't get one. And that was the tough part. Why can't I get a job? I have skills. I have a good background. I've got a good resume. I've got a good education. It was, it was so funny. You know, you're applying for jobs, and first I'm applying in the industries that I am connected with and most familiar with, where I know people, and preferably West Coast. That, that went away after a year. After a year, it was like anywhere, any industry, anything I can get, I'm ready to do. But as I said, God slammed the door shut. Now, God did provide work. Um, I had short-term, had handyman work. I did a lot of handyman work, actually. Um, <laughs> Some of it was back here in the Bay Area, so I'd drive down from Sacramento, literally sleep in my car, and do this handyman work. Actually, Pastor Cliff opened his home a number of times for me to stay in. Um, I got some good contract jobs. Actually, actually several of them I enjoyed that were, that were fun. And the Lord did provide. I ended up working for, for a short period of time for a buddy of mine in the merger and acquisition world, doing some marketing stuff for him that he needed done. Uh, so God provided, but there was nothing long-term. So you always had this up and down, trying to take care of kids that were in high school and everything that you want to do with your children in high school and the vacations and the time that just wasn't to be had. But God did provide, and we did have peace. The second part of verse 9 there um, he says, my grace is sufficient, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power only comes when we're weak. The power of God through a trial only comes after we have submitted to him and we come back to him. His power can come through. God's power does not come to the angry God's power does not come to those who lack self-discipline, who are self-deceived. God's power in trials comes when we are submissive to him. When we embrace the trial. The trials that come are not meant to be avoided. God brings those to walk through. Not to go around. When we embrace our trials, that is when we're in the middle of God's will. The rest of what Paul writes there, 
My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's what God said to him, and here's Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am con- I'm content in weakness. I'm content with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamity, calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, God is in control. For when I am weak and I embrace the trials, God can work through me. How we face trials is one of the most essential things we can, we can do as Christians. If we're going to be angry and passive and self-deceived, we are going to miss God's grace and we are going to miss God's power living in our lives. I truly believe that. And it's in Scripture. We must embrace it. We must think biblically, hold to the promises of God, allow God to release His grace and bring His power. That's the difference between knowing and walking. Through this trial, I adopted another life verse, Zechariah 4, 6. I have it on my email a lot. Bottom of my email. It says, not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Walking in the spirit. This trial humbled me in a number of ways. Numerous ways. Changed my thinking, changed my perspective. Brought me closer to God in ways that I'd never been before. Brought me closer to my wife in ways that were different. The length of the trial, like I said, after the devastation, trying to find, just find a job and bring some normality back, that, that was becoming hard. Um, begin to wonder, is this the new normal? Is, is it not going to ever go back and, and, you know, am I never going to find something? Um, six months looking for a job, a year looking for a job, 18 months, two years, nothing, nothing. I, I, I even... Well, that doesn't matter. Anyway, some really basic jobs that don't even require college education I couldn't get hired for. Two and a half years into the trial, I received a phone call from a good friend. This friend had been in contact with me every four to five weeks. He would call and see how I'm doing and talk with me. Um speak scripture into me, edify me. Um, He was the only person that did that. One of the difficult things of this was having moved away. My kids were born here. I was born and raised here. My church was here. We helped plant at GBF. We were one of the founding families. My church family was here. My friendships were here. Everything was here. All my business contacts were here. All my children's friends were here. And part of this, God moved us to Sacramento. Not too far away, but far enough to where all that regular contact just disappears. All my kids' friends kind of all disappear. Those, that's in itself is hard enough without all the other things happening. But this friend, he reached out to me regularly. And that was tremendous grace. And that was a blessing. And the fr- friend was Pastor Cliff. And uh, we had been friends for a long time. Our kids are close. We did a lot of things together as families. And we actually continued to. We still vacationed together. We went camping a couple of times in those years when we were up in Sacramento as families. And Cliff called me up that day and he said, I have someone that has a job for you. I'm like, really? 
Well, what is it? Who is it? I knew most of the people in the church. He said, <laughs> he said, oh, it's a guy. Um, we we want to have lunch. And I said, okay, we? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Want, want, meet us for lunch at uh, In-N-Out Burger in Tracy. I'm saying, a business lunch at In-N-Out Burger. For I'm interviewing for a job. At, am I interviewing for In-N-Out Burger? I mean, <laughs> and who is this guy? I kept asking, who is it? Who is it? Who is it? He wouldn't tell me. He would just kind of keep changing the subject. Um, <laughs> it, was kind of, it, was a, it was a funny phone call. And, and uh, I kept, well, okay, what kind of job is it? And he wouldn't answer the question. What industry is it in? He wouldn't answer the question. Um, I, I, I call this, this was not Pastor Cliff's full disclosure moment. I was just, so I said, okay, yeah, I'll meet you in Tracy. I think it was in two days. And so I hung up the phone and I say to my wife, Cliff says he has a job for me. Or Cliff says there's a guy that has a job for me. Well, and she's asking all the same questions. And I'm like, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and she's looking at me going, and you're going to go to this meeting? I said, I, yeah, I, I'm so desperate. Yes, I'm going to go to the meeting. Um, and uh, so the day comes, and I'm getting ready to go. And we're, I'm a little anxious, and Robin's a little anxious. And she says, well, call me. As soon as you get done, call me. I said, okay. You're going to call me as soon as you get, yes, I will call you as soon as I get done. As soon as I, you know, I'll, I'll give you a call. So I'm going down there and I don't know what to expect. And this is a weird setting and I don't know what's going on. And so I'm praying as I drive down and we get down there and uh, I, uh, I, uh, we meet and it's just, it's Cliff. And we order burgers, and we sit down right there in the dining, and he slides across to me a job description for being an administrative pastor here at GBF. And I'm like, well, that's not for me. And he says, sure it is. I said, I've never been full-time at a church. I don't know anything about church. And he goes, well, you're a lay elder. And I was. I'd become an elder at GBF. And he goes, you know how to do the rest of it. I'm like, I don't know how to do any of it. And then he started giving me these little pithy comments. Something like, well, do you want to continue to work in the secular world or do you want to work for Jesus? <laughs> Is there a better job than to work for Jesus in his local church? How do you answer that? <laughs> so um, I'm noncommittal, and I, I'm going to have to think and pray about this. And I think he said, I've already prayed about it. The answer is yes. Um, uh, so we, we finish, and I'm headed uh, back, and I'm walking to the car, and I'm thinking, oh, I'm supposed to call Robin. <laughs> I am not going to explain this over the telephone. Um, and I'm kind of in a whirlwind because I really don't know how to think about this. Uh, so I, I get in the car and I start heading home and I call her and, uh, and she's like, well, okay, what was it? How, what happened? I, I said, I don't want to talk about this over the phone. I'll be home in an hour. Let's go to Starbucks. We'll sit down and we'll talk. And, uh, she said, okay. And so I get there. Or we, you know, I, I get home, pick her up, we go to Starbucks. And I said, okay, let me tell you the whole story before you say anything. Now, for you guys that have been married, let's say five or more years, a lot of times when you kind of know how your wife is going to respond about something. You could hear it in your head. <laughs> and I am not expecting a good 
response. I am respecting, I'm expecting a response like, well, you told him no, right? I could hear the inflection of her voice in my head. I, I can hear her say, you said no, right? You, you didn't accept it. Of course he's going to offer you a job. He's one of your best friends. You're not going to take that job. Right? That's what I'm expecting to hear. And I'm kind of preparing because I don't know how to think about it. And I'm expecting her not to be very supportive of it. And so we sit down and we talk. And I kind of tell her the whole thing. And she's very quiet. She's looking right at me. And when I finish, she says, well, now you have God's response. And I'm like, what? I'm like, I, and now I'm, I'm going on defense going, wait a minute, I don't think I should be doing this. And she goes, You've been, we've been praying for almost three years. The door's been slammed shut. God's just opened the door. Well, I wasn't quite ready for that, but... That led to 60 days later, I accepted the job and came to GBF. There was a whole series of people I talked to and got wisdom from. Um, and that was eight years ago this very month. In fact, I think it's eight years ago this very week is when I started at GBF. Um, tremendous blessing. Here's the last picture. Here's Robin and I. On sabbatical that you guys sent me on, we went to a mosque. Now, that's a whole different story. You might wonder, why would Pastor Bob be going to a mosque in Morocco? <laughs> another story for another time. But uh, God brought us through what, for me, was the biggest trial of my life. I sure hope it's the biggest one. I hope there's not another bigger one down the road. <laughs> uh, but he brought us through a, tr a tremendous time, and he was tremendously gracious, changing my heart, preparing me to come into full-time ministry, which is nothing I ever expected. I don't equate myself to Moses, but I often say that I was much like Moses. I had to be dragged into ministry. I was not prepared. I did not think... I was the right one. I, I didn't stutter, but I wanted to stutter. <laughs> uh, but God did a great work and, and showed me this is what he wanted for me. And uh, so that's my testimony. So, questions from members. Make them easy. <laughs> anyone, anyone? John. How did you first meet Cliff? How did I first meet Cliff? Cliff, I was attending First Baptist Church Los Altos, uh, my family and I, and Cliff was called to, to church there. He was in Texas, in San Antonio at the time. We were looking for a new children's pastor. Cliff accepted the call, came there. And Cliff's children and my children are just almost the exact same age all the way down. So Carissa and Grant were the same age. Bree and Paige were the same age. Tim and Mitch are the same age. And so there was kind of a natural connection. And we became fast friends, everyone in the family, both families. Any other questions? Was it my dad that hired you? Well, that's a weird circumstance. <laughs> Anything else? Yes. So, did you, your family come down to live in uh, the area again? Yes. Like Jed Clampett, we packed up the trucks again. Uh, the question was, did, did my whole family come back down from Sacramento? Yes. So when, we, when I accepted the position, we all packed up. And that was an interesting time. Um, one of those losses, by the way, was Pods, who had dropped one of our pods th almost three stories. Yeah, that just about 
demolished everything in there. I mean, it even it broke a cast iron skillet. I mean, it, just, it destroyed everything in that pod. Um, another loss during that time. But, uh, but yes, we came, we came back down uh, all together. And uh, my oldest was actually right off to college. And my other children connected back with their friends. It was a blessing. Karen has a question. I have two. Uh oh. Is that allowed? <laughs> the first one is uh, since you didn't feel equipped to be a full time minister, did Pastor Cliff send you to seminary? Yes. I'm not sure if I was equipped, by the way. I came in a little shaky. Cliff was always shoring me up. And that was one of the requirements. One of the requirements was for me to get my MDiv, which I did. It took me a little time. Um, it's kind of hard going back to school at 48 or whatever I was at the time. And, and, uh, but I did and got my MDiv, I think it was three years ago now. So you have um, quite a bit of loss through this transition. Um, can you talk about your gain? The gain was that relationship with God and the relationship with Robin. I came closer to God than I had ever been in my entire life. And our marriage was stronger than it had ever been. And I don't know that our marriage was ever weak, but walking through all that, it gave us time to, ch to talk into our children's lives. And we, I think we did okay. We, I mean, it, walking with them in their minds at an age-appropriate way. Like I said, there was a difference between my older two and my younger one. Um, to, to try to get them to see that God is in the midst of a trial. And they were all excited for me. Uh, to, they all were um, very encouraging for me to come into this position. They were able to see it. And we were able as a family to experience it all around. So um, This is three now, Karen. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> this is the last one. So I'm also interested in the gain after eight years in the uh, full-time ministry. The gain after eight years in full-time ministry, I have been tremendously blessed. This, th there's, there's no question there is challenges. There are different challenges uh, in, in, in being a pastor than there is you know, in the business world. Um, I, I won't go into those, but the, the blessing of, of working in God's body. Cliff was right. I mean, is there anything better than to be working for Jesus? Um, I connect with people in a completely different way. Um, some of the mission things we do, we just, you know, we come back, we, we just got back from Hope House, right? And part of short-term missions are for the people that go. And just seeing them, you know, using their gifts and talents, getting from everything from our preparation all the way through. Working with people, you know, I, I was just working yesterday with Boy Scouts and the Burgess family over at Creekside on some, you know, cleanup and, and they're doing, they did a great job. But working with people in a way for the glory of God, for his church, um, is different than being a lay elder. Being a full-time pastor, so that's that's where the blessing blessing really is. I think we're out of time. I think I'm supposed to be done. Got, Got two minutes. Time for one more. Michael, um, can you share some of the spiritual disciplines that you and Robin had during those like low days during the trials that you had? You know, they're they're not any different than what you already know. It's prayer and it's His Word. Um. You seek his word in a little different way because you're looking for those times of encouragement. Became a lot more familiar with the book of Psalms. Uh, the pouring out of David's soul in, in some of his struggles. Uh, but, but being more familiar with probably a different area of scripture, right? Before you're, I would say it's the theology of the New Testament and learning um, and now it's the struggle of holding on to God and his promises. Uh, that was different. Prayer, we probably prayed more together then uh, through that trial, uh, praying for each other in a different way. Um, I'm praying for her 
She's trying to help bring money into the family. She's trying to raise three kids um, in someone else's home, in my parents' home. Um, that was just different. We were in our parents' home, which actually I started to say with Karen, there was another blessing. When it was time for us to leave, the God had blessed our time. There was no... I mean, you think of moving in with your parents, Robin moving in with her in-laws. I mean, that, that could be kind of difficult. And we'd lived there for two and a half years. Um, and what is that dynamic like? Uh, it was a blessing. We were actually kind of sad to go. Uh, my parents, I loved it. My father was speaking right into my, my children's lives. It was fantastic. Um, and being able to enjoy just regular life with them. You know, I hadn't been in my parents' home in 30 years. And so coming back and enjoying them in a different way, it was, that was a blessing. But for disciplines, the disciplines were no different. They were just the same disciplines. But they, you know, acted out differently. I think we're good. Last one. There isn't one. All right. Let me pray, and I'll close our time together. Gracious Father, the Apostle Paul in, in Corinthians says it all. In our weakness, that's where your grace comes, and that's where your power comes. Father, we are to embrace the trials that you bring to us in our lives. We are to walk through them. We are to walk through them in faith. It is so, so very difficult to do. Our, our own sin nature, our own desires keep us from that. And that great hymn, where we are prone to wander from the God we love. We are prone to do the wrong things. Father, give us strength let us hold to you. Give us the fortitude to hang, to hang on to you, to come to you when these fiery trials come. They come all the time. As Christ said, this life has, a, has an abundance of trials. and We are to live and walk through them, holding on to you. Keep us strong, Father. Keep us strong individually. Keep us strong collectively as a body supporting and encouraging one another in our trials. I, if it wasn't for Pastor Cliff, he called me often. When I came to the Bay Area, he opened his house, had me over for meals. He was a great brother in a great, great time of need, and I thank you for him. And let us in our body uh, continue to love and support each other as we face various trials. Thank you for this time this morning, Father. Prepare our hearts for a time of worship. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. We'll be back in 20 minutes. <laughs>